So this is usually where I say something stupid to start the podcast, but I've been working so diligently that I've completely run out of ideas. So uh, coming to you pre-recorded from the home domicile of the producer engineer, welcome to How You Play the Game, the official podcast of the OSA Foundation. Uh, yours truly, Jack Furlong, with you as we talk to you about what's going on in the world of sportsmanship. This is the second episode of the month of February. The year is 2019. We're glad you are with us. As always, you can check us out uh, on our website at osipfoundation.org. You can do uh, the Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash Foundation. You can do Twitter, which is at Foundation hashtag how you play the game. Uh, email us at podcast at osafoundation.org. And of course, subscribe on all of these platforms. Rate us, subscribe, leave us reviews, the whole nine, uh, yada, yada, yada. We say hello to our producer engineer across the way, Mr. Sean Ryan. Sean, hello, welcome. How are you? February. Yeah, they put that R in there for no reason. Yeah. Yeah. Was- What's this Rue? This uh, it's, it's that's the from la- a Seinfeld episode. Oh, it's it was, it's the last half of Kanga, you know, oh, from Winnie the Pooh. That was that's a classic. There you go. You're welcome. You're welcome. You you might remember those characters as characters that were cut from the final version of Home Alone Two. <laughs> I like Rabbit. You like because uh, he doesn't put up with any nonsense. Uh, yeah, and Eeyore is just. A downer. I mean, I'd be angry if a cat was jumping in my garden. Well, yeah, yeah. And after all that work I put into it, it I, I, can't, I can sympathize with yeah. that. Oh, bother. Anyway, <laughs> we have a very special set of uh, episodes for you, uh, for our listeners. Um, you know, we have a partnership with uh, Close Call Sports, which is a group that handles. Uh, the observation of officiating and rules in in all sorts of uh, sports and competition. They oversee the umpire ejection fantasy league. They see they have the um, the plate meeting podcast, which we uh, sponsor. And so we're going to have a couple of episodes. You can hear my ex girlfriend in the back barking. What is she here? No. Okay. I'm sorry. We've already lost all of our listeners based on that comment. <laughs> Uh, but we're going to have a couple of special episodes where we uh, interview some of the uh, the head honchos from Close Call Sports, and we're happy to have uh, one of them with us today. Uh, one of the the main guys over at CCS, our good friend Tim McCaffrey. T Mac, it's Jack and Sean. How are you today? I am fantastic. How are you guys? Ah, uh, hanging in. Couldn't be better. Great. Thanks um, for having me. Oh, uh, thanks for doing this. No we really problem. appreciate it. Um, you know we. We absolutely love uh, what's going on at Close Call Sports. You know, as a as an umpire myself, I I follow it, and it is uh, a joy and a resource to uh, really allow you know people to have a little bit more insight into the world of officiating because it's something that is uh, very much overlooked by the common person, by the casual fan, and so I you know I I can't thank you guys enough for. Uh, putting this resource together and making it really fun. It's, it's, it's a blast. Well, when I got involved with uh, Close Call, I'd say probably about five years ago, um, you know, I talked to Gil, and I was unhappy with the comment section. I, you know, this comment section is so negative. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said to me, he said, fine, why don't you just, because I was a contributor to the site already, he said, well, fine, why don't you just edit the comment section? And, and, you know, so I started, and we had a lot of, you know, trolls. 
Of course. You know, just yeah. people that would come on and say bad things and try to get reactions. And the comment section just became a dumpster fire of negativity and uh, a lot of respects toxic masculinity. So um, we decided or I decided that I wanted to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. And I think I like to think that we've, we've changed the culture, at least on our site. And certainly we've helped change the culture uh, of umpiring, even if it's a small step. We need to let people know that there's accountability, that uh, you have to go out in the best interests of uh, the teams, the coaches, the players, the assigners, and, and do what's right. And sometimes, you know, the, the old song, the phrase song, the hardest thing and the right thing are the same. Um, but that, that's part of, part of baseball. And try to be positive. But when there's something happens that's wrong, you know, let's point it out. Let's learn from it. Let's have a teachable moment. Let's show that, hey, these are the best umpires in the world. They make mistakes, but this is how we avoid these mistakes. But let's also point out the positivity. You know, when umpires do something right and it's real difficult, let's show you that, hey, this can be done and, it, you know, this is how you do it. And I, I hope my goal is that not only are people learning for free, mind you, um, it, but in addition, they're, they're becoming better, better humans at, at the same time. I, I agree. I would, that's why, you know, you, what, the work that you do at Close Call Sports is so much in alignment with what we do at OSIP. Uh, before we dive into a lot of this stuff, you know, you brought up the accountability of the officials and whatnot. So I wanted to, this just popped in my mind. I want to get you a quick take on something. You know, in our last episode, we talked about the infamous no call in the NFC championship game. And there were a lot of people calling for accountability of officials. And we mentioned a Senator from Louisiana who wanted the officials to appear uh, in Congress to answer questions from senators over that no call and, you know, really just ridiculous comments about that. Uh, Can you talk a little bit more as, as an official about your thoughts on accountability of of officials across all sports, maybe pertaining specifically to what you might have seen in that game, uh, and and what the the commoner, what the average uninformed fan might need to know about where officials are in the realm of accountability. I mean, what are they actually dealing with, even at the most you know professional or the highest level? Look, I think when you talk about that play is that not only was there pass interference if the ball wasn't tipped, and I'm not so sure the ball wasn't tipped, so you'd lose pass interference on that play if it was. But um, from an accountability standpoint, the NFL really had took the crap end of the stick. Right. Um, they had four officials from South uh, Southern California uh, on that game, uh, including the lead referee. And you have to understand that if anything controversial, including all three officials that had that call were from uh, or could have made that call were from or the, the main two would be the back judge and uh, I guess it would be the line judge down yeah, there. Yeah, I think it's the down judge now but since down they changed judge. the, uh, the name uh, of this we're position. Both Southern California guys. So as much as I don't think there's bias, it's a bad look. It really is a bad look. And that's what people harped on was, was were these guys – Rams fans growing up, and you have to go back a long time because the Los Angeles Rams were the Los Angeles Rams back 35, 40 years ago. Um, and they, they may have moved to St. Louis for a time, but when these officials were growing up, it was the Los Angeles Rams. So that's the question you have to ask. I would say no, 
But it's a bad look because anybody can see that in the worst case that that was uh, a helmet lead. Right. Uh, and, and, and it probably, if the ball wasn't tipped, was, was pass interference. And it was very inconclusive if the ball was tipped. I, I don't see – I couldn't see from the naked eye. But, look, from an accountability standpoint, um, you know, I, the NFL said they missed the call. And, you know, I, I'm not sure how the call was missed, but it, it was not a good look. And that's why, you know, in certain instances, having replay is fantastic because replay would have changed that call. It would have, you know, kept uh, certain names out of the history of time for missed calls. And, you know, unfortunately, now we're getting a little wonky here, but replay does a little too much, slows the game down uh, to a certain degree, and there's not a lot of game flow anymore. So I I don't know if that answered your question, but uh, that's my thoughts on that particular play. Well, you know, I think that, you know, we, we dissected this a ton already, so I'm not going to rehash everything that we went through. But I think that the average fan or even broadcasters, talk show hosts, things like that, you know, they're they're calling for accountability of these officials. And obviously, we know that the NFL is the NFL. I mean, you, you they're in a league of their own when it comes to a lot of these other things based upon the other issues that they have dealt with. Uh, the amount of money they make, the the nature of the sport being so violent, and all the head injuries. I mean, we could we could wax poetic for God knows how long. Um, it's you know, like I just remember listening to uh, like a like a sports talk radio show after it, and the guys who were talking, they're not even fans of the Saints or the Rams, but they're saying, how about these officials come out and talk to you know, reporters other than just the one pool reporter that they have to, that they can speak to and only through the referee. And and it's just, there's a lot of uh, vagueness uh, in that. And that gives leeway to the, the average person who's not informed like we are to make poor uh, misconceptions as, as a result of that. So how do we educate people into understanding that there are certain protocols, there is accountability. It's just that it may not be in the way that people are calling for. They're just, we're not going to have officials appear in front of Congress over a missed call. You know what I'm saying? Well, I'm sure we'll get to youth sports later as uh, we did a podcast on that, but the last plate meeting podcast uh, on close call sports, we had Richie Garcia on mm-hmm. Available on iTunes and all your uh, podcasts. Oh, uh, please shamelessly plug it. Um, and, and Richie, when he had the call, we talked about, of course, we talked about the call with Tony Tarasco and Jeffrey Mayer in 1996 in the in the playoffs and the ALCS game one. And he had to go in front of the media on his own. He was not the crew chief on that series. Larry Barnett was. Mm-hmm. So we live in an age now where whoever speaks is the, is the head of the crew is the crew chief. Bill Vinovich was the head of that crew in New Orleans against the Rams. So he spoke on behalf of the crew, even though his responsibility was looking to see if there was uh, any type of hit on the quarterback. So it would have been hard for him to see if there was pass interference because he has his own responsibility uh, on that particular play. It's not like baseball where if we have a trouble ball, we want all eyes on the baseball. So we'll, we'll pass on a touch of a base just to make sure all eyes are on the baseball. Right. So, um, you know, you have other responsibilities the way it's done in football. So he, he, Garcia went in front, of the, in front of the media, and it was a pretty cordial atmosphere. 
it's just the difference of decorum nowadays. You know, uh, the the discourse starts off angry, you know, and it doesn't start off from a from a ask questions and then, you know, maybe get into a further discussion. It, it starts with a shoot first, ask questions later. And I, I just hope, and one of the things we're trying to do with Close Calls, make the discourse, you know, just be a little more not only positive but amicable. You know, we don't have to get into arguments every time we disagree. You know, we can, we, I hope we can have a conversation about them. Right. That, I, that's a fantastic way of, of putting it, you know. And again, it echoes what we at OSIP say, you know. I mean, we're looking at, at competition and sportsmanship from the, you know, the standpoint of all participants. Obviously, close call sports comes at it from a little bit more of the officiating standpoint. But all of these points are valid. All of these, you know, views and, 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 and whatnot have merit and all come to the same conclusion is that you can't or we shouldn't have to be drawing blood or holding knives to throats or anything like that, pitchforks and torches, over a call in a game. It, it, there's, there is reason to discuss it properly as human beings, as civil adults, and that's what we're missing in today's society. I think also to realize that, you know, there's always two sides to right. every story, sometimes three or four sides. Right. And it takes it takes a discerning eye and a well informed um, well informed personality. Right. To kind of dissect that, right? I mean, that's that's what we read on some of the write-ups on close call sports or in the umpire ejection fantasy league. Is that a lot of these average fans don't understand what's happening until it's broken down by T Mac, you know, in a teachable moment or something like that, and they're they're basically being told, no, this is what we're looking for. This is the proper mechanic. This is the proper rule. And at the end of the write-up, you know, if you've been paying attention, you should have. A, a better understanding. It's it's not rocket science to follow a you know a, a logical argument through to its conclusion in a black and white world regarding what the rules are, what the mechanics are, what umpires are looking for, etc. You know, I mean, to not to go too far into this realm, but you know, we obviously live in a society where the facts are ignored purposefully based upon opinion. You know, we get into this fake news mm-hmm. stuff and I'm not going to get into sides or anything like that, but you know, just it's it's the way of the world now. You know, the way of the world is that we we have an agenda, we have an opinion, we try and push that as much as we can. We don't have the ability to sit down and have a normal conversation and see from the other person's standpoint even if we don't agree with it. And to empathize and to compromise and to say, okay, maybe I'll give a little bit if you give a little bit because we're so guarded, we're so afraid. And it just, it, it gets into a spiral that is, you know, somewhat ridiculous and unfortunate really is, is a better word. I have a question actually for both of you. Okay. Um, so uh, T-Mac, you had said that during a course of a game, priorities shift from... Um, seeing if a base is touched to the movement of a ball is are the priorities always the same when looking for at different plays from different angles or is it dependent on the type of play okay so if we have a routine base hit say to right center field an obvious double okay where there's there's not going to be any fan interference there isn't going to be you know the ball is not going to carry him out of play 
um, then we can shift our responsibilities. And this is where instincts come into base touches, getting to the next spot we need to be in as far as, you know, uh, making our next call. And if it's a three-man, it would be a rotation type play. The runner on first, it's first and second would be a slide or what some people like to term a reverse rotation. But if with a lot of these stadiums that, that I've been in, they all are, are quirky. They're nuanced. Um, one of the places that I've been fortunate enough to work a lot of games in is, is, is in the, the Can-Am League, the Rockland Boulders. And they have a, uh, a fence that's about six inches behind the wall, which means what happens? It hits the fence. It comes back in. And if you're not paying attention, it looks like the ball's in play. So sometimes with the way angles are, and we do have, it's a game of angles. If you're the third base umpire and you have a ball uh, to straightaway left field and you're, you know, the fence is a jumpable fence. You can make a catch. It might be, you might get screened. It might be hard to see if that ball hit the back wall. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the first base umpire who might be able to get behind second to get a better angle might have a better look than you. So, you know, why we're not going to be worried about what did the batter on a touch first base because without replay and we don't have replay in the Can-Am league, we have to make sure we get the initial call, right? Because if we get the, if that ball is a home run and we call it in play and instead of having, if the runner started on first and second, you know, and they had to tag up with one out or they didn't go, we had the bases loaded instead of it being a home run, we could possibly have changed the outcome of the game or at least change the strategy of the game. And conversely, if we call a ball off the wall, a home run, and instead of having second and third, we give three runs, again, we have now changed the result of the play. So, you know, every play is unique in and of Hmm. itself. Um, And it's hard for me to say, well, this is what you do on this play. So it takes instincts. But I'll tell you one thing. Nobody likes the guy on the crew that says on the ball that just, you know, is it fan interference? Is it this? Is it that? And he says, well, I was watching to see the touch of first base right? because let's be honest what everybody's looking at. Everybody's looking at the interference of the play. They're not looking at the touch of first. So nobody's going to appeal first base and Mm -hmm. say that he missed first. Short of him running from the 45 foot line to second, nobody's going to say that he missed first base. Does that make sense? Yeah. It makes it really dynamic. Just, you know, the different angles that you have to look at and what you have to look at, what you have to prioritize. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I have two thoughts in response to what T-Mac said. The first is that I wonder what T-Mac would say to, you know, my uh, rule of thumb is always that in the course of a competition in any sport, Obviously, there are going to be there could be kicked calls. I mean, we as 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 plate umpires know we're not going to you know get a hundred percent of the pitches right. But regardless of that, um, you know, teams fare better when they don't harp on missed calls. Good teams always overcome bad calls, and on top of that, one call in a game usually usually is not the deciding factor sometimes in a game, in my opinion, because you have an infinite number of other possibilities as to when a team could affect uh, the outcome of the game. You know, the the, the situation that T-Mac described with the potential three-run homer, uh, you know, had things gone any number of different ways prior to that, the umpires would have never been in that situation in the first place. I know it's not something that you could kind of hang your hat on, but... You know, at least for me, if I know I kick a call, I can I feel like I can try and sleep at night knowing that, you know, I I, I did the best that I could. T Mac, what would you say to that? 
I hate the philosophy, and hate's a strong word, but I don't like the philosophy of, well, if you didn't give up that walk, I wouldn't have been in that spot. I think that's an old school, um, needs to be antiquated, needs to be diminished and kicked out the door philosophy because everything that happens is a separate situation. You know, who cares if the guy gave up, you know, a couple of hits? If the guy makes a catch or makes a trap, it's still my responsibility to get the call right. Right. You know, I'll give you an example. I was being evaluated a couple of years ago, and there was a very tricky play. We had uh, a, a, a ball that was hit in a tie game in the last inning, and the ball was to left center. And the third base umpire, I was the first base umpire, and I knew at a good third base umpire, and this was going to be a very difficult call for him to make because the left fielder, if he was going to make the play, was going to be diving for it. And with nobody out, I expected him to be diving for it and not just let it go because if he lets it go, it's going to be a double or a triple. And also, we had a fence that the ball could get under. <laughs> so oh, great. Wow. there were a lot of things <laughs> that needed to be seen. So I, you know, with a three-man crew, I'm going to have the responsibility of getting myself in on this play with nobody on. And I tried to get in and get set from the cutout, and I did. And the guy made a dive, hit off his glove, and by the time I picked up the runner, the runner had just even with me. But I wanted to make sure the ball hit his glove, hit the ground, lost it. So I had the perfect read, okay? And the third base umpire didn't make a call until he saw the ball get picked up. So, I mean, I, God forbid he had called a catch there or something to that regard. I had the, I had the backup of the call. Okay. And I would have thought the home plate umpire would have. So I get done, and I get an umpire. He doesn't have any uh, affiliated or independent experience, and he gets in, and he thought there was obstruction. For Hey, did you see the obstruction? And I said, you know, I was trying to and – he, and he goes, I don't want to hear excuses. So – you get guys sometimes that are teaching or that are, that are evaluating that don't know what the heck they're talking about. Because what I was taught and what they teach at pro school and what they, what, what is you always want to get the first play, right? So if you said to, if I had said to that guy, if we, if that guy caught the ball or dropped the ball, and he comes up with a catch and I'm watching the touch of first, I go, Oh, he touched first base. Nice. That guy could have turned and said to me, Hey, how come you weren't looking at a play in left field? So sometimes we get in situations where even the people that are higher don't know the proper protocol of the way things should be done. And, and that's something that, you know, hopefully changes as well because everybody's going to need to be on the same. Everybody should be on the same page and everything's always evolving. But in that particular play, I would be doing a disservice to my crew had I not been looking at, at, at the catch, no catch in the outfield because that is the biggest play. Hmm, that makes sense. Now, let me, I'm going to throw my own experience in to another example similar to this that uh, I had to, you know, uh, deal with. And I, I'll, I'll let you guys react to it. I was doing a game. Oh, this is, oh, this is probably about five years ago or so. And uh, this is like a, like a, like a senior classic league. So we're looking at like ages 19 to 23, you know, testosterone of men just going crazy. And, and a lot of fathers are still coaching their kids at this age too, for whatever reason. It's, it was just a, just a, a, a set up to fail type of scenario. All right. Um, or as I call that a cheap date, but it's a, it's a two man crew and I have the plate. 
So I've got runners on first and second, nobody out. And batter comes up and hits a bomb to left center field. So the, uh, the, the base umpire turns around. He's got uh, a certain number of tag plays. I've got uh, a certain number of responsibilities. I mean, there's so much going on. You've got a potential home run. You've got a potential catch-no-catch. You've got tag plays at first and second and a potential play at third. And then you've got touches of bases, too. Well, the ball leaves the ballpark, okay, it's for a home run. However, both runners, for whatever reason, were, you know, halfway off their respective bases rather than tagging up. And the batter runner is about to pass the runner between first and second, but he doesn't. So runners come around to score. And now all of a sudden, the uh, defensive head coach wants to appeal that the batter runner missed first base. So we oh, are your coach is great. Oh, they're, they're fantastic. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, they're so wonderful. They're very nice, understanding people. Who, I bet you this guy was a guy that shook your hand and said to you before the game, he doesn't ever say anything to umpires. And- <laughs> it would not surprise me. I think I was, I think I drank a lot after that game. So maybe that part but- got erased. Not to interrupt, but no, since ahead. I've done it already, there are certain situations where you just can't be right. Exactly. You know, if you're in a two-man crew and you're watching catch-no-catch catch and and uh, and potential home run, you cannot see, if you're doing your job appropriately, whether that guy touched first base. Right. It's not your job. And the home plate umpire, they say, well, I'm the home plate umpire. Because it's always good to keep all eyes on the baseball. Remember the orders of priorities that they teach at umpire school. It isn't touches of bases first. You know, we want to always get the first call right. In this case, your first call is going to be potentially catch, no catch, home run uh, in play. Right. So, you know, it sounds to me like you're doing the right thing so far. Right, exactly. And anyway, I I didn't see the touch at first. I tried my best to obviously help out my my partner on a potential home run, catch, no catch, while also uh, a potential play at third base you know, tagging up of runners. I mean, I'm I'm going through a checklist of things in about, you know, a split second of things I can try and just catch a quick peek of. And when the when we called the guy safe for touching first base and he started having a conniption, uh, I said to the coach, listen, coach, there are two of us out here with a with uh, three runners uh, and a ball that may be leaving the, the field. Do you really think that you know, we have the ability to see everything with four eyeballs. And it just gave him this look like, you know, knock it off or it's going to get worse. And, and I don't like getting demonstrative because I suffer from a significant amount of anxiety. But I, I was beside myself because I was like, how am I catching crap here for this type of a scenario? What, what am I missing? Let me help you, okay? Because I think to me the initial conversation when he comes charging out of the dugout, or he's if he's going to start screaming at you from the dugout, he's got his own personal issues, right? And I not only work, you know, Division One college baseball games, you know, a, a lot of games in in the independent leagues, but I also work some AAU stuff, some stuff for my college assigner, and uh, and I, and I enjoy those games for the most part. He he's got good groups of guys that generally don't bother the umpires. But in this scenario, let's say the guy left the dugout. 
And he was going to be, you know, not a nice guy to you. The first thing I'd say to him is said, you know, say, hey, Dave, how you doing? I know his first name. Dave would say, hey, he wouldn't know mine because he's, a, he's coaching an under-16 team, mm-hmm. or in your case, 19 to 23. And he'd say, how did you guys miss him? And I would say, okay, do you understand what my responsibility is out here? And if he comes back at me with anything negative or just whatever, I'm going to say, look, I'm not going to talk to you unless you're calm. And I'm trying to explain something to you. I'm trying to have a conversation with you. But if you don't you know, listen to me, I can't have that conversation. So I'm going to try to get him in a spot where I can explain to him the play. If he continues to be just putting on a show that I'm going to end the comment to give him, and especially the, I'm going to give him like 20 chances to stay in the game. Right. You know, I don't want, you know, they pay a lot of money for those tournaments. I don't want the headache of them being mad at the person that, um, you know, they, the state supervisor or whatever. It's just not worth, it's not worth the energy. Right. And there's not, there isn't going to be any repercussions anyway. Um, for a coach. Now, if he does get calm, I'm going to say, okay, let me explain to you what, how, what happened on this play. And the same thing would happen to you if the situation was reversed. My responsibility is home run help or catch no catch help. When you work with two men, there are certain things that you're not always going to be able to see. Right. That's just, the, that's just the pearls of two men. It happened in three men as well. Um, you know, and you're certainly, they're certainly not going to pay for a four umpire. So I'm going to try to get him calm. Then I'm going to try to explain to him. He, I'm going to let him kick some rocks and be upset. Coach, I understand you're upset, it, you know, and I might even say to him, Coach, I know this sucks, you know, but I'm just trying to do my job and get the first call right so we don't mess up the rest of the play. And he's, of course, he's going to be unhappy if he feels as though he missed it. The truth is, you know, did he really even see it or did somebody tell him? Or right. is he just being a jerk in the first place? I'll give you an example. First base coaches. On, you know the, the the pulled foot, the optical illusion where the foot moves after the ball is caught, and we've mm-hmm. seen a lot in Major League Baseball on replay, where it looks like uh, to the naked eye, boy, that that foot was way off the bag. And then you watch it on replay, it was clearly on the base. Right. Well, if you ask a first base coach, they always say, hey, the foot's off the base, and now they're trying to fight for the call. But what is the first base coach looking at? He's watching the ball. Mm-hmm. What are the umpires looking at? Umpires are watching the ball 95% of the time until they're not watching the ball potential touches, obstructions, interferences, so, so on and so forth. And on that play, the umpire is listening and watching the foot. So if you're astute and you can differentiate sounds, you can see where the foot is. If you're in position in relation, and I will, you know, sell a call, he's on it, he's on it, he's out. You know, and they will say, oh, he's way off, the way off, the, look at that. And then I'll ask him, hey, you know, Dave, what were you looking at there? Um, were you watching the ball in the glove? And they invariably go, yeah, Tim, yeah, I was looking at the ball in the glove. And I said, well, that's not the, you got to look at the foot because I heard the ball hit the glove and saw the foot was on the base. And I think a hundred percent of the time, I've been around a while, they will say, oh, I didn't know. So, wow, his foot was on the base. Right. You know, because mm. most <laughs> in the professional level, they'll, they'll think and they'll go, oh, I never thought of that. By the time I looked at the foot, <laughs> maybe that was a half second later. And we all know a half second in baseball is a half a step. So if not more, right? right? Yep. Mm. That's that's so true. I mean, I, I had a situation like that, I think it was last year, in high school baseball, again, where a coach just doesn't understand what we're looking at, what we're what our thought process is. And, you know, when you explain it to them, then, you know, it, it ultimately comes back to the whole idea of, geez, coach, maybe if you uh, read the rule book, you know, not not to mention the, the case book, the, the mechanics manual and whatnot, but, you know, we understand that you have other things to do other than read. You know, so reading's hard. Reading is very hard. That's something that we discuss a lot on this podcast. How we just don't read. 
Uh, anyway, you reading just books or the rule book? Uh, just just words in general. <laughs> you know, letters that make up words that put together to make sentences and whatnot. These strange characters that look like hieroglyphs to us. It's just we're we're very very odd down here in Central New Jersey, but. Whatever. Well, being a Central New Jersey guy originally, I'm always fascinated uh, by the pe- people's disdain for Central New Jersey. But it, it really it was a good place to me. And I'll tell you something about reading. Okay. <laughs> you I, thought I'm you'd amazed. never get this on this podcast, but go ahead. <laughs> I'm amazed at at umpires who complain about the rules, but then never read them. Right. And I'll say, well, you know that rule was changed, right? Like, oh, it was. Yeah, it was changed two years ago. You know, we're, and I'm doing a. I don't work for a lot of the guys that, because I'll, I'll, I'll say, you know, I mean, you know, if you don't know the rules, eventually they're going to get you. Right. You know, it might take years, but eventually you're going to get caught. And, uh, you know, it's like speeding. You may not get caught pulling, go, doing 80 and a 55, you know, for months, but sooner or later you're going to get pulled over. Right. Mm. So and, I think Chris uh, Rock had a joke about that, about cheating on your wife. You don't care if you're 007, you're going to get <laughs> caught. So. Well, I mean, uh, yeah. Go ahead and touch that one. I dare you. you. Comments with a ten-foot pole, right? But but, uh, those—that's all you. Write your cards and letters to Jack Furlong. (laughs) Oh man! Uh, But but get in the rule book. You know, I learned this from Harry Wendell at umpire school. mm -hmm. You put you have an extra set of the rule book in the bathroom. You read a cu- you go to the bathroom, right? right? You read a couple pages every day, and you know what happens? In a, in half a year, you've read the entire rule book, and you right. know what? Some of it ain't that disinteresting. Right? Yeah, the definitions might be boring, but you're a million bucks. I remember last year, I had Binghamton, uh, and I have a good relationship with their head coach, and the plate umpire gave a really bad explanation about a hit by pitch decision. And he wanted to talk to me. In the, I was in the middle of the infield. I was crew chief in the middle of the infield, which is always fun for a midweek. Right. And he, I said to him, next, I, told, I, I gave him the universal signal, which looks like traveling, but I was putting two fingers over top. I said, next half inning, I'll talk to you. You know, next, next time you come out here. Right. So he said to me, this is what he said. and Because I, I told him it was a good call. I said, it's a good call, Tim. I'll talk to you in a minute. We're both named Tim, which for the purposes of this podcast makes things very un- very confusing. Of course. And and I told him, I said, yeah, he leaned in. Pitch was like, you know, maybe an inch off the inside, but he leaned in. He kept his arm there. I said, by rule, you know, he's, you know, he's, and I explained to him perfectly the way the rule was written. And unfortunately, the home plate umpire didn't. And, you know, we almost had an ejection over it. So to me, if you want to keep yourself out of trouble, we're all going to miss calls. But being able to explain the rule, the interpretation of the rule, is really, really important. Right. You know, I'm going to jinx myself here, but I've had, you know, one ejection in college baseball in the last three years. Oh, that's beautiful. So, but I'm also able to explain things in a way that, you know, there's just, there's no way to argue. This right. is the rule. This is, this is the way the NCAA wants. Your argument may be with the NCAA Rules Committee, but I can't do anything about it. You know, right. Uh, so I think knowing the rules doesn't matter what level you are, whether it's professionally in college, high school. Um, sometimes those AAU tournaments are tricky because they have a lot of weird rules. Right. You got to get in the rule book and know the rules. Right. Otherwise, you know, you're just speeding and eventually you're going to get caught. You know, it's, the, the thing that kind of irks me about that is that when you get into some of those tournaments, 
that have the additional rules or whatnot, you put umpires at a disadvantage when if you are a tournament director or even an assigner to a certain degree and you are not feeding those rules to different to to your umpires like you know when i would do x number of recreational games just to supplement my income you know these different leagues have different house rules and this that the other and you're like you have to say to these coaches listen i do 15 different leagues that have 17 different sets of rules so you you know you have to bear with us a little bit and it just it, it just bugs the hell out of me that you know, it, it goes back to that that very first thing is that we don't have calm conversations anymore. We don't have common decency and decorum to understand where people are in life and 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 the reality of the situation to be able to step back and say, okay, you know what, life is going to go on after this when my eight year old's baseball game is over. One of the things that uh, that I do, and, I, and again, I've worked in one of those tournaments in uh, I believe it was Hartford last year. And something happened, and I, I don't put myself in positions to fail. Um, You're better than I, I all of us for already. People that don't back the umpires, and there are certain assigners that don't back umpires. Right. Um, so I don't work for them because mm-hmm. it's just going to cause frustration and angst, right. and I don't put myself in those positions. God bless you. Um, luckily, I don't have to. But is if I work those tournaments, I'm not afraid to do this. You know, I got a question the other day, uh, or that during that tournament. That so the pitcher and the catcher were both on at the same time in a nine person lineup, but the guy that was running for the catcher was the last batted out. So now what do we do? And the guy, guy says, "I'm like, I got time, I got time, because I don't know the answer to that question." Okay, right. I don't know the answer, so I ask the site manager because every place that I work has a site manager. As far as those AAU tournaments, right. just like in high school, one of the first things I wanted to know—I don't have a high school game in ten years—was who's my site supervisor. And if they say the assistant baseball coach, we got a problem. Right. I need somebody there in case something happens. So, and that's one of the things that's gotten lax in a lot of the high school associations. In college, you always know who your game event supervisor is. So, mm-hmm. you know, I was at uh, at Siena last year, and we did, luckily it wasn't a problem. But you know, there was a a drunk student that was yelling uh, just horrible things at the visiting team. You know, slurs. And we had to have them removed. Now, if I don't know who the site supervisor is, this could be a disaster. Right. And, you know, luckily we got it taken care of. And as soon as I started walking in, the guy knew that I was coming for him. And he, he ran off because he had known what he said and he didn't want to be there anymore. Right. You know, he didn't want to get caught because now, you know, now you're talking about whatever their code of conduct is. And that's a religious school. Mm-hmm. So he, he skedaddled. But you also have to have the guts to be able to do that type of thing because I, I've been on the field when I'm not the crew chief and I've heard those things and I've heard the crew chief, just let it go. Just right. I don't want any kind. Just, just let it go. And to me, you're doing not only a disservice to the umpires, you're doing a disservice to the players, but you're also doing a disservice to that person who's saying that right. who now thinks he can get away with that where he goes. Right. You know, people have to be like we talk about accountability. <laughs> Just as there's accountability for umpires, I'm not going to let slurs be yelled at on my field. So part of the problem in high school or the AAU stuff that doesn't have site managers is who do you go to? Right. Who do I say, you know, okay, you know, that's it. 
you know, he's got to go. Now I'm ejecting a fan, which looks terrible. Oh, absolutely. So, I, I mean, uh, I can't tell you how many times I've been in a situation like that. I mean, first of all, the high school problem is that you've got, in essence, one AD watching all of these after-school athletic competitions. And they're going to have to put certain things in priority, like if there is a county tournament game going on on the varsity baseball field, but there is a regular season game going on on the lacrosse field, you know, that that guy's going to be hanging around the baseball field. So if there's a problem at the lacrosse field, you're you're going to have, you know, an issue because there's well, going to be a delay. That's fair, but there need there needs to be uh, teachers, whether it's teachers or coaches in other sports right. that are responsible for watching those games. Exactly. We cannot let coaches who have, uh, as Brian Hertog would say, they, they're biased. Right. They are trying to win. They don't, they're not, they don't have rational thought in the middle of the game. Right. Um, some of them do in fairness, but they're, they're, they've now become, you know, the fans are fanatics, you know, fan is short for fanatic. Let's as we it. know. Yes. And the mm-hmm. coaches are trying to win. So, um, well, I, I was amazed, or I always am amazed when there's an issue from one of the coaches and you hear about it and the signer talks to you. And I said, I talked to the other coach and he said the play wasn't close. So, you know, it's, you're amazed sometimes at what people will argue and, and discuss and think that that, that is wrong. Right. You know, and there's so many videos online, it'll make your head spin once you get in that rabbit hole. Right. No, I agree. I mean, I had a situation once where, unfortunately, it was another one of these senior classic games where there was a father uh, hanging over the right field fence yelling things, and it got to a point, and I was on the bases, uh, it got to a point where my partner behind the plate ejected him from behind the plate. So he, he's yelling out to a fan deep in right field that he's got to go. And as and he not only refused to go, but then said he would meet us in the parking lot afterwards. So now I've got a situation where I've got I've got to call time and get everybody off the field and say, okay, uh, we don't have a site director here. We have two head coaches of a, what is in essence a recreational game, and we've got a threat to the umpires. This is fantastic. Got to call the police. I mean, it's 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 sad. And did, you, did you call the game? Did you end the game? I I, th- I think we had the pol- the police show up just to you know kind of keep an eye on things so we could keep the game going. That's serious. You know, it's well, <laughs> I mean you take your you take your safety seriously well, of in these situations. You know. Did you guys see the basketball video from a couple of weeks back where the uh, the fight broke out in the stands and players got involved and the the official is on the phone on his cell phone which i guess he had in his pants pocket right which is um and the game was delayed till the cop showed up and then it was forfeited i did I not mean, see this but i think i heard about this yeah wow. i'll tell you something i'm gonna give you an osip exclusive right now oh great third Ooh. game i ever umpired i was 14 years old i was doing a third and fourth grade league in homedale new jersey and my dad was an umpire so i i you know i wanted to follow this i was still playing at the time i still thought i was going to the big leagues and uh, I got this game, and something was weird about it. Like, you know, my instincts have always been good, but I, in the first inning, the assistant coach from the green team, I'll never forget it, and because everybody was in colors, and the head coach of the red team were yelling at each other. And it was, just, it was you know, it was a field where they were literally yelling over my head, but not at me. <laughs> right. And I was like, you know, I was like five or six times I went back and forth, and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to get a headache by the end of this. What is going on? 
you know, I have no idea what, you know, and I found out later. So I, I, I warned both guys that that's it, you know, and I probably said something effective, you know, cause I didn't know baseball. Like, One more word and you guys are done. Right. So the next half inning, whether it was the bottom of the first or the top of the second, it started again and it didn't stop. And I pointed to the, to the head coach of the red team, who was John Natale and, uh, the other guy of the um, look up John Natale, by the way, in Homedale, New Jersey lore. Um, you'll get some interesting stuff there. Um, and the other guy was just a assistant coach who I didn't know, and I ran him as well. Okay. Well, I come to find out, I had a pool party that night, or a party. It wasn't a pool, it was too cold, I think, to be in the pool, but at a party that night at my friend David's house. And th- his father was on the board of the Athletic Association, HYAA. And he taps me on the show and says, hey, can I talk to you for a second? I was like, hey, yeah, Mr. You know, I don't want to say his name, but so-and-so. He goes, "Uh, was there an incident today at the baseball game? I said, yeah, how'd you hear about it? He's like, well, you ejected the president of the Homedale Youth Athletic Association, and it is a very big deal. And I said, am I in trouble? And he goes, no, but there have been a lot of people that haven't liked his conduct for a long time. And I think that a kid throwing him out of the game was a big wake-up call to everybody. Oh, it's beautiful. Wow. So the third game I've ever done, I ever, I ever umpired, I ejected two people for unsporting conduct. And I didn't know the backstory. It turned, you know, one, there was all sorts of backstory. And, you know, he took a player off the other team in the draft. And, you know, and it was bogus. And then he started him against that team. And it was just, it was all sorts of just, Unbelievable. We're talking about house baseball of third and fourth graders. I mean, you have got to be kidding me. So, um, you know, the bottom line is that you have to have guts and you have to have integrity. You have to stand up for what's right. And uh, if you can do that, you can be a great umpire. Wow. Well, first of all, it says two things. Um, The first thing is if, if you're the president of the board of that association, isn't it a conflict of interest? To be coaching as well. well? That, just, that just goes into the whole I mean, absurdity the, of the, the situation. I mean, that's the, first, the, yeah. that's the first thing. The second thing is um, it just shows that no one is above sportsmanship. Right. You know, and it's I think that's a very courageous thing you did. And uh, but you were doing your job. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's uh, it's humbling, but it, it I think it's that's a that's a really neat story. Tim, I want to ask you this, because this popped into my head a couple of minutes ago, and it's something that I've always wondered. You know, you were talking about, uh, you know, the AAU situations where you give coaches certain amount of leashes and, you know, you want to kick dirt, this, that, the other, blah, 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 you know. And we all know that different scenarios uh, require different approaches, you know, based upon so many different factors. Um you know, one of the things I've struggled with in the past is when, uh, you know, poor behavior, ejectable offenses, if you will, occur during a, let's, let's, we'll just say playoff games. And my take has always been, if you cross the line, I don't care if it's a scrimmage or game seven, you've crossed the line, you got to go. A lot of Normal fans, normal maybe isn't the best word, but casual fans, the average fan, 
probably doesn't look at it that way. They look at it by saying, you know, you got to have thicker skin in this type of a scenario. The pressure's high and whatnot. And I understand all of that too. I believe me as a competitor, I understand when the stakes are high. As someone who's been around the block as you have, what has been your experience in your approach to a situation like that when it's an important game, but lines are still crossed? So to me, every game, you know, the world isn't black and white. There are shades of gray. Right. So um, I, I am going to try to keep my pitchers, my position players, everybody in the game. Now, that doesn't mean I might not get in their, get in their keister a little bit. Right. I might say, hey, Billy, I know, you know, you guys are fired up trying to win a championship. That doesn't mean I can be your pin cushion today. Right. And usually they'll come in and say, hey, hey, sorry about that. You know, or they're yelling at somebody else. You know, they might be yelling at the plate umpire. Hey, same rules still apply. You know, I'm, I understand the intensity of it, but let's, you know, let's rein it in a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's if I'm on the base. I'm going to protect my umpires on the on the plate. You know, I might not get in their get in their butt as much in terms of you know, saying hey, um, you know, hey, tone tone it down a little bit. You know, stay in the game. Um, but I, I want to try to make sure everybody's in the game. Now, if that's a removed pitcher, an assistant coach. See, to me, assistant coaches should be there to keep everybody calm. Right. They shouldn't be part of the problem. They should be part of the solution. So if that assistant, if there's somebody yelling at the bench and the assistant coach is popping off as well, you can make an example of them and get rid of the assistant. And then imagine come out and say, who'd you run? I said, hey, I, I ran. You know, so I'm talking about a professional standpoint here. You know, I ran, you know, Billy, your assistant coach there. I don't know why he's popping off right next to him. You're starting second baseman's yelling. I don't know why he's not trying to calm him down. I said, I could, you know, and then when I tell the manager, hey, I could have got your starting second baseman. I'm trying to keep all your players in the game here, you know. They'll be, oh, thanks, Tim. I appreciate that. So I'm putting them in a position where I'm trying to make them feel as though that I've done the right thing by them, that I understand the gravity. Now, if that's a regular season game and the second baseman's arguing on a borderline pitch that it was called against his team, yeah, he's probably going to go. I don't get a lot of that um, because they just believe me for whatever reason. Catchers, you know, I, I develop good relations with catchers. So they'll, they'll protect you a little more than if you try to, you know, if, if you don't have a good relationship with them. But, you know, as far as college baseball, you know, I feel like the players just don't say anything. You know, they're, they're, because they're going to get suspended. Right. Um, they're, they're under wraps for the most part. Um, you know, the head coaches, you know, the, you know, we're in an era that head coaches don't want to, be, want to really get ejected for over just, you know, monstrously bad calls. You know, they, they're not going to get run for fire, to fire up their team. You know, they, they want to make a point if the call is just really bad. You know, and then they don't want to get suspended by excessive arguing. So um, I find that college baseball is a lot easier to officiate in that way. Um, and then I, I don't do a lot of the lower level stuff. But I'll tell you this. If I'm in the championship game of an AAU tournament, um, I'm going to handle that the same way that I would any other AAU game. You know, these guys in the AAU circuit in the summertime or in the fall, they play every weekend. Right. It's not like they're just playing once a month. They play every weekend. So, you know, they're probably playing, you know, eight, nine, ten championship games a year. Um, so it's not like the championship series of a professional league or a conference tournament where everybody's watching. You have to, you know, I had old umpires say, if you're going to run somebody in a big game, you better sure as hell have them by the conies. I mean, it better be something that everybody goes, 
boy, yeah, he had it. There was nothing he could do. Nothing he could do. He had, and the guy just had to be ejected. You know, because if you go out looking for trouble, they're not going to want you to do their games because they're going to be. They don't need umpires who are going to be. They're going to be worried about. Oh, that guy's going to cause a situation to blow up. And I got to be honest with you, that's something I was bad at in my career when I started. And I think it's a thing a lot of young guys have problems with communication. And the only way that you get better at it is by trying to get better at it and not always insisting that you're right. That makes sense. And and I think that that's something that, you know, you said there's probably a, a, a much better sense of that at some of these higher levels, you know, these younger levels, even from high school varsity down as high as that, it's not there. They just don't take it seriously for, for whatever reason. Um, you know, Maybe maybe that's because at least in you know in New Jersey, if not you know all of Federation baseball, we have you know the the restriction to the bench as a as as like a first technical foul type of equivalent, uh, you know. But the you know these suspensions that come with ejections at you know at, at the high school level at least are just they people don't care for some reason they don't value it in the same way, and yet. You know, someone like me, I look at this as like, you know, this, you know, these games can be important for these kids. They're playing varsity baseball. They're not, you know, it's not like they're playing, you know, an ample amount of varsity games. They have, you know, four seasons max and they want to win. And you know, it's just, it gets, it just gets convoluted after a while. And I wonder where we hit the reset button. I wonder what it takes to get people to just calm the heck down and realize that this is supposed to be an experience. You know, you look, as Sean always says, look at the forest for the trees rather than the intricacies of, of the competition and, and the, the intrinsic value that it might mean to different people for different reasons. I mean, it's, it's enough to make your head explode. Well, I think repercussions are a great deodorant. You know, if that coach <laughs> knows that if he gets ejected, tw- every, you know, people say to me, what's it going to take to get some of these problem people out of independent ball? And I said, very simple. First ejection, uh, one-game suspension. Second ejection, five-game suspension. Third, and different for pitchers, but for this place. Third ejection, out for the year. Right. You know what? You're not going to get these guys screaming obscenities at umpires all the time. And it will protect. Now, they won't do that because they're worried, well, the umpires are going to try to get. Look, if an umpire goes out and tries to, get, tries to run guys to get them thrown out of the league, He's going to get fired. Right. There's just – everything's on video. Everything's too much of a microcosm. If you'll notice, you know, you'd notice that uh, on close call in the Australian Baseball League, there's a guy that was ejected four times this, this winter. And the same guys tend to be the same people who get run all the time. You know, we, we have the hothead list in Major League Baseball that we put up at close call. And, you know, if there aren't repercussions – you know, they're, 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 they're going to keep doing the same thing. You know, it's you, you, if you have kids, you understand that. Right. Um, so as far as, as far as that goes in, in college baseball, the NCAA has done a tremendous job. You know, one of the reasons we don't have the, the, the problems that we used to is the NCAA said, we don't want these issues. We want the game to be played. It's a fun game. The NCAA right. baseball is fun to watch. And on the high school level, what are the repercussions what stops coaches from behaving? First of all, co- high school baseball is a completely different mentality. You know, uh, you could be 25 years old and, and be a former professional umpire and be a Division One baseball umpire. But if you go to your high school association, you'll be working freshman games because right. you're not. Apparently, there's an age limit 
to do varsity baseball because all the guys that are like 70 years old, 65 years old, 60, they've been here for 25 years, think that that's their birthright to be at, to do those games. And that's just unfortunate. Yeah, there's and a significant amount a of ego. that's that I've been yep. in. So, you know, and a lot of those guys are of the, uh, of the opinion that you don't ever run anybody ever. I mean, I, I once did a game with a high school guy, and I, I watched him, uh, let's just say MF'd over and over again. Mm-hmm. And I ran him, and <laughs> we got to the parking lot, and he said, I can't believe you ran him. Yeah, I, I didn't hear what he said. Uh, and I, I've never run a guy in my life. And I said, okay. And I called the assignment. I said, don't put me with that guy again. And I don't want to be with a guy – you know, maybe if it, maybe his wife does that to him, right. maybe his wife yells at him like that. But this kid is 15, 16 years old. If you allow him to stand there and scream obscenities at you, what are you teaching him? Yep. What are you telling him? You're telling him that it's okay if you disagree with somebody. And, and again, when I when I've been a crew chief a long time in the Can Am League, and one of the things I tell people is that I'm not trying to make you not only a better umpire, I'm trying to make you a better communicator, a better person. Okay. So I'm trying to make that guy a better person by ejecting him because he comes back and he's still MFing that guy. He needs to go. He needs to be told you can't do that. Right. Okay. And on the high school level, it's tough because the umpires all have different agendas and they all want to work states and they're afraid if they run a couple guys, they're going to be, they're not going to get the states and, you know, so on and so forth. So look, high school is anytime that it gets broader, you know, there are more X factors that come in. But again, I think, like I said before, site supervisors at every site, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a coach from another sport, or assistant coach, they need to be there. And it might only happen twice a year, but nobody wants their school on YouTube for a parent screaming at one of the officials or in what happens a lot of cases now, somebody on the other team. You know, I mean, I see these parents, Jack, Sean, when they're screaming at players on the team, you've got to really check yourself in. Could you imagine, you put yourself in those shoes. If my 15-year-old is playing a sport and one of the other parents is screaming at her or him about something that's going on, I would lose my mind. I mean, I would be like, what are you, you know, right. I'd want the game stopped. I'd be like, you know, these are kids playing. So when you're a parent, you really have to ask yourself, if you're yelling at the umpires or the players, maybe you've got bigger issues that yep. uh, don't relate to that particular game. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's uh, it's gospel right there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the other thing I was going to mention about the, uh, the high school sports, uh, as, as you mentioned that, you know, the, just the, the nature of it is so, I mean, I've, I've, we've talked about this ad nauseum. You know, the, the nature of high school sports is now very much like the nature of so many other things in life where not only do agendas come in, but to, to put it bluntly, a, a customer service aspect comes in or a, 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 a will to avoid uh, legal stuff comes in because that's the easier route. Um, 
You know, rather than stand up for what's right and say this mentality is wrong, it's easier in high school baseball and in a lot of different things to simply just get rid of somebody because it it goes with the mob mentality and it eliminates the problem. I mean, Sean and I see it as educators a lot. You know, where where parents don't like something and it's easier for them to ju- for for employers to simply just dismiss you rather than say to the parents because business would be lost you're out of your mind you know it's the same thing in in officiating where it's easier to say okay I won't put that official on that game uh, because the the conflict will dissipate it won't be resolved you know it's I, I say this in my association a lot and I and I point to it as to why we have an issue it is easier in the scenarios that we have for me to pick up the phone and call the assigner and say, don't ever put me on a game with that coach again, than it is to eject that coach, do the paperwork and then have to deal with, you know, the, the, the repercussions of dealing with ADs and talking about things. I mean, it's, and, and that's not necessarily, uh, you know, supposed to be an indictment on the system. It's more supposed to be about just understanding the reality of it and saying, what what are we doing here? Why can't we take a step back? Why can't we be logical? What, As you just said, Tim, what is going on in the minds of these people that make them think it is okay for them to act a certain way, especially at a youth event? It doesn't make sense. Well, one of the issues that you touched on there, which I think, you know, just to extrapolate on a little bit, was, you know, this is a generalization, but as a society, we don't uh, address the problem. We address the symptom of the problem. Right. So just to just, to just you know, talk about that for a second, there are coaches that I don't like that guy, 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 that guy. I mean, you know, you have 20 umpires and I don't like 12 of them. Okay. Yep. So instead of saying to, to that guy, okay, you know, I think you're out of line. I'll give you three guys or whatever. We say, okay, we won't give you any guys that you like because I want to keep the contract. Right. Okay. And, you know, this is much more in high school baseball than it is in Oh, college, you're but, speaking to the choir. Uh, and it said somebody needs to have a sit down with the athletic director who might be the baseball coach for all we know. Maybe the principal, you know, and say, you know, you're – your coach is being unreasonable here. Right. You know, he, he doesn't think anybody can officiate his games. So, you know, nobody, you know, I said, most of those coaches, nobody wants to go there anyway. We have a guy, when I used to work in the, in the Chesapeake Basin group, there's a guy that, that is a coach, and let's just say one of the outlier institutions in one of the leagues and that will be switching leagues, that nobody wants to do their games. Nobody, because he's just, he's not a nice guy, you know, and I got to be honest with you. I didn't want to do their games, but it's close to my house. And so I would go there. And last year, you know, I talked about the one guy I've thrown out. It was him, mm. you know, two of the last three guys in five years have been him. The guy just gets thrown out. Nobody wants to go there. Cause they don't right. want to deal with it. And, and I, Dennis said, well, I can't put you there anymore. Cause he doesn't want to see you. And I said, so the guy, so you're one of your top umpires can't, and I'm on the 12 miles from his school. Nobody else is within 30 miles, and he doesn't want to see me anymore. I said, that's fine. I have no problem with that. that that's your decision. 
But the bottom line is that instead of saying to the athletic or standing up and saying, hey, you know, your guy's being a real pain in the neck here. Right. You know, he shouldn't be allowed to, as my dog makes an appearance, um, <laughs> he shouldn't be allowed to just say all the top officials he doesn't want so he can try to intimidate the younger and more green officials right. or the older ones that he feels as though he can intimidate. Um, he, he, he needs to be held accountable. And, right. you know, if, and again, if you're working for a sire that doesn't hold people accountable, my suggestion is don't work for that person. Right. We have, the, we have the exact same situation here in Mercer County. We have a high school in Mercer County that not only is highly ranked in the state, but in the nation. They've had a significant number of people uh, get drafted into the, into the big leagues, uh, you know, people who've had you know, maybe a cup of coffee in the major leagues, things like that. So they've got some, some gravitas to them. And the the head coach comes from a you know a long line of 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 people in his family who have coached that team. So there's a little bit of nepotism involved, and uh, they get to the point where if there's one call that they disagree with, they have banned that umpire from doing their games, and it is now to the point where our top officials don't do those games, and they only get the new varsity officials, and then they wonder why the level of officiating for their games is going down. It's not rocket science, especially when you have other officials like myself who look at it and say, I don't even want to touch that game because I understand the the ridiculousness of it. You know, T-Mac, you talked about putting your position, yourself in position to not fail, that's the definition of it right there is to say, I'm working, I'd be working with a coach who is out of his mind. Literally, there are, there are books in the offices of therapists that they're just going through and the, the greatest doctors in the world are just shrugging their shoulders. You know, it's the equivalent of the far side cartoon where the, the doctor's listening, the psychiatrist is listening to the guy and just writing just plain nuts <laughs> on, on the notepad, you know? So, or they re- need a team of doctors or they need, from ex- Vienna. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> we, need, we need the top surgeons from all around the world and Beverly Hills to do this, okay? So it's just we, we we continue to go back and harp on the same points. It's that it's there there is a, a level of ridiculousness to it, and it's it's more about a call to action. It is a, it's meant to be a wake up call to people to say we each have the ability to look within ourselves, whether we want to or not, whether our ego prevents us from doing it or not, and to say what can I do better. As a participant, whether I'm an official, whether I'm a coach, whether I'm a player, whether I'm a parent, whether I'm a fan, it, whether I'm a media member, what can I do better be, you know, to, to make things right, to do things that are ethically and morally proper rather than feeding the masses and just, quote, giving them what they want? Well, introspection is a lost uh... It's a lost art. I mean, I tell the young kids that I work with all the time, two of which just uh, one of which got into minor league baseball last year, uh, two more that will hopefully get in this year. Uh, both are uh, going to the advanced course. And, and I'll tell you what, you know, if you don't have the ability to look inside yourself and say, did I get that call right? If I don't think I did, you know, what do I have to do to get it right? You know, did I have a good game? And if your answer is always and we all work with guys. And I remember one time a guy missed maybe 25, 30 pitches during a game and he came in the locker room 
and he said to me, he said, that uh, 2-2 pitch on Robinson in the sixth inning, which was thigh high and down the middle, a breaking ball, which I'm just adding on to the story. So did I get that pitch right? And I looked at one of the guys, and I'm like, yeah, the pitch was right down the middle. It's like, oh, I don't think I missed a pitch then. If you're that guy, then, you know, you're not – you're doing yourself a disservice because you're not trying to get better. Right. You're not being re- realistic. You know, I, I, I told you a story off the air, but I think it's it's effective here. One of the things that, that I like to do is um, tell – you know, get to – especially a young catcher. I want to talk to him. I say, hey, you know, I haven't seen this pitcher. Is there anything unusual? You know, is there anything i got to look for that might catch me by surprise? So I was doing a game last year, and the catcher's like, no, 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 he's pretty, pretty standard um, at Yogi Berra Stadium. And this guy had like a knuckle curve that he decided to show in the fifth inning on the 2-2 pitch, okay? And I, I, I missed it. I missed the pitch. The ball looked like it was going to hit him, and then it broke back and over the plate, and, and I just went, ball! And I'm not sure why to this moment I did, I you know? I had made up my mind that it was going to be a ball. And the worst thing you can possibly do is be anticipatory. Right. So, you know, now at this point, the catcher throws the ball back and where do you have it? And I went, geez, I, 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 you know, I don't know this catcher, so I'm not going to tell him I missed it. But I said, you know, I'm going to try to get a better look at that. I think I might've got screened by the batter's elbow. Let me, let me, let me, let me, you know, let me get a better look at that. You know, my, my mistake, if you think it's a strike, you know, something to that effect, probably right. in shorter words. The pitcher knows it's a strike. Heck, you know, probably I know it's a strike. Everybody knows it's a strike. But that's why I asked the catcher before the game, first time I've seen this guy, does he have anything unusual? Right. Yes, the knuckle curve. That's a pitch we don't see every day. It breaks two and a half feet. That's, the, that's why I want to have a good relationship with the catcher. So, so he didn't even show it in warm-ups. Right. You know, he was saving it for the time that he was going to freeze a guy. So here's my point. Now, of course, I want to be able to tell that guy as he's walking off, hey, you know, didn't know you had that in your repertoire. Sorry, I missed. I'll get it next time. You know, but of course he gives up two hits. The inning should have been over. Two runs score, and now I'm a now I'm a jerk. <laughs> you know, so I can't so I can't communicate that. But I still have in the back of my mind, I want to talk to him at some point. Right. You know, so I don't know if it was a it wasn't the next day, but it might have been a week later. I said to I said to this guy's name's Dylan. I said, Hey, Dill. I said, You know, you got that knuckle curve that you don't show. I, I told your catcher before the game, you know, anything unusual. And he said, no. And I said, make sure you tell your catcher, Hey, he's got this nasty knuckle curve. He'll throw it out of nowhere. So, you know, or maybe even, you know, the umpire can tap, you get tapped on the shin or something, you know, right. just, you know, just some kind of communication Right. that this knuckle curve that you've never seen before stay, you know, stay with it. it you know, it's going to surprise you. It's going to look like it's a fastball. That's, you know, it's going to hit a guy and then boom, it's going to, it's going to move. But that's where I talk about communication. If that catcher communicates with me a little better, uh, you know, I, I, I might be able to get that pitch. Now I'm still trying to figure out why I missed it. And it frustrates me to no end. Cause I don't like missing strikes, but if we all communicate better and also think, what could I have done differently to make sure that I didn't make that mistake? Then we're all better for it. You know, the players are better for it. You're better for it as an umpire, you're better for it as a human. Right. And again, that's, you know, part of the mission that you guys have. It's the mission that close call sports has and trying to, you know, create communication, create dialogue and just understand that this idea, this antiquated idea that the umpire is always right should be long gone and hard to find. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, you know, that you, you basically just kind of summed up, you know, like one of the programs we do, which is work with me, where we, you know, we go out and we try and talk to. 
uh, players and coaches. And the emphasis is on communication. You know, the emphasis is on understanding that you get, you know, uh, more flies with honey than vinegar. You know, you, you, you talk to me the right way and I'll talk to you the right way and we're going we're gonna to be better for it. You know, it's, it goes beyond just understanding how pitch framing really works and, and whatnot. It's if you can just, you know, talk to me like a human being, you put me at ease and I put you at ease and all of a sudden you're getting more strikes and it shouldn't be rocket science to understand that. But sometimes it is at those younger levels. Um, Look, one thing that yeah. umpires have a hard time understanding, Jack, is that the, the trust doesn't just – just because you walk on the field, they're not going to trust you. Right. So trust is something that's developed over time. So if you think – I can't believe that catcher went in and told that umpire – told the coach that, it, that I missed that call. Well, it's the first time you see them, you need to communicate that. I had a team a couple of years ago, and the pitch – it was a 3-2 pitch, first and second, one out. It, it was six, eight inches off the plate. It was inside the batter's box line. Two-seamer, and it was an easy call. He was set up trying to bust him inside, and the pitch just had, you know, too much run to it, right? Mm-hmm. And he said, he, 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 he comes in and he goes, you know, manager comes out, goes, oh, my catcher said that was a strike, Tim. And I turned to the catcher and I, and I said, really? Dave, you, you think that 3-2 that, that was inside the batter's box line was a strike? I, I, I wouldn't call that on you. And he did not say a word. He did not say a word. I said, no, Dave, you really think that's a strike? And he did, still did not say a word. And I said to the manager, I, the head coach in college baseball, right. I said, yeah, I think he's telling you right there that he may have been caught in a fib. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awkward for everybody. Because I want that catcher to tell me right then and there that it, it was a strike. Yeah. Because now, I, now he's lying. Right. And he knows he's lying. No catcher that catches a pitch eight inches off the plate, short of Little League, is thinking it's a strike. <laughs> right. Perjury is and, just and, a and terrible that's thing. communication. You know, right. if it's a borderline pitch, you know, maybe after that bat or maybe there's a foul ball, I'll say, you know, hey, did, did you want that one-two pitch? You know, they go, yeah, I did. I said, I had it down. Did you not think it was down? He goes, it's borderline. I just want it. So now he's telling me he probably thought it was a ball. Because if he borderline to a catcher is him telling you that it's a ball. Right. Because if it's a strike, he'll tell you. Right. Because he's also got to think, as a hitter, I don't want that pitch called. That pitch is probably low. Mm-hmm. Well, you know? Jack, you mentioned that um, you know there's a thing called preventative officiating. Right. Uh, I think it works uh, well for the players too. Yeah. So if like a, a batter comes up and is unsure of a call, whether it's a ball or a strike, the batter can just turn to the umpire and politely say is that where your zone is you know just to establish in the beginning without causing a a huge ruckus and complaining this goes along with the whole communication uh aspect is that that about as far outside as we're going today yeah is that as far is that is that as low as as that is out as we're going yeah that's pretty standard in professional ball um You know, it happens a little less in college. And again, like I said, I haven't done a high school game in 10 years. It doesn't happen in high school. 10 years, but I never remember it happening there. Um, I've seen it happen on the AAU circuit because those guys are are a lot of times coached by, you know, guys that have professional experience in some way, shape, or form, or at least high-level college experience. So, you know, they they learn how to communicate. To me, um, there has to be a way, and I know Brian Herzog giving him a plug with his – his, his, the job he does mm-hmm. in communication with uh, umpires, coaches, and players. There has to be a way that we can teach these guys um, re- at relatively low cost how to communicate. Right. 
Because if we teach people how to communicate, you know what's going to happen? Well, the next generation is going to learn how to communicate. Then the next generation is going to learn how to communicate. And it, it, it's all based on what people see on TV. One of, one of the great things about replay, and I tell people this all the time, and they don't have any idea what I'm talking about, is that when's the last time that you really saw a guy storm out of the dugout? It doesn't happen anymore. Right. It doesn't happen anymore. You know why it doesn't happen? Because they don't, nobody sees it happen anymore. Because managers don't do it. They just go to replay. It's not rocket science, yeah. So you see it, you do it. Right. and uh, But what is happening, players are really barking at home plate. And, and, you know, at the lower levels, I see this in high school videos all the time. It makes my skin crawl. I feel so bad for the under-equipped high school baseball umpire. Mm. You know, it, it's just they, I, I wouldn't put my worst enemy in those spots where you've just got fans and Coaches that are out of control, and, and as it goes down, it becomes more difficult. And I, I think the solution is that once nobody wants to umpire, um, then you'll find that people will behave better. Right, uh, that's you know, where I we're had headed. The solution when I was assigning in early house games, early when I was still a teenager, mind you, I went to the board and I said, I want one representative from each team in the association to designate a umpire and they have to get back there and work three games with at least one of those games being on the plate or else their team has to pay a $500 fine to the HYA. And everybody thought this kid, what a great idea. Mm. And you know what happened? Every team had a representative. And you know what happened after that? Some of those guys actually became umpires. Amazing. Hmm. Amazing. And we not only developed umpires, but we developed some pretty darn good ones. And, then you could, and you could have taken that $500 and done so much with it. You could have gone to AC. You could have, you could have bet well, it all. And imagine if it was eight or nine teams. You're talking about 50, 60 teams total. But um, I could pay bills. The truth of the matter is, Jack, Sean, that if you incentivize people to re- have the result that you want, you know what happens? Now, all of a sudden, you know, Mr. Roach, who's umpiring, he'll go down and he, everybody knows him. And he'll say, boy, that was a really close pitch. I think it could have gone either way. And the fans who know Mr. Roach will go, yeah, you know, we like him. He's a nice guy. You know, we see him all around. He's, you know, part of the community. And they don't yell. Right. Mm. Meanwhile, that 15-year-old that's trying to make $10 a game, which is what we got paid the first year I umpired, um, gets, we're getting screamed at all the time. But now if you have an adult around, things tend to be a little more calm. Right. Especially when they don't have what is a vested interest in the result of the game. You know, Every fan that is there thinks little Billy or little Johnny's going to the big leagues. And right. we all know that's just of course. not happening. So uh, two quick things before we wrap up. I'm looking at your, your resume it's here. It's over already? Can you believe it? We've only been here for three hours. <laughs> and that might <laughs> but, be a blatant but, lie. Sean, you got some serious editing to do by that. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. yeah. You, just, you should see the look on his face. He looks like George Costanza just giving up. <laughs> hey, I'll tell you what. <laughs> You know, you know, you got to do the opposite. So if you're thinking tuna on toast, just do something else. Exactly, yeah, right. exactly. My name is George. I'm unemployed and I live with my parents. Well, <laughs> hello. hello. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm looking at your resume here. You obviously have have been through it. You know, Wendelstedt grad. You've gone through all these leagues and in independent ball, Northern, Northeast, Can-Am, American. You, you all these college. You're in the Patriot League, my alma mater. You know, you've 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 been around the block. Do you have any specific 
sportsmanship-like stories that stick out as something that might give us some hope for where we can go? You know, something, anything that you just kind of keep in the back of your mind and you might think of from time to time and you go, you know, that's, that's what might drive me in a, in a downtime when I'm, you know, or, or what I can impart on other umpires to say there is hope for this. We, we do have the power to have good people work in this stuff again. Anything like that come to mind? Yeah. You know, a great story. I'm doing the, uh, the Can-Am Championship back in 2007. Okay. And it's Nashua against New Jersey. And Butch Hobson was the manager in Nashua. And Joe Calfapietra was the manager in New Jersey. And there was a runner on first base. And four-man crew. And I had an absolute rocket. Just, I thought it was going to kill me. Okay, mm-hmm. so I tried to get out of the way first, and I, you know, it was just a hard one to get out of the way of. It just looked like it was going to square me up, and I got out of the way, but my head was probably at the shortstop spot, and it's moving as I was turning around. I had no idea where the ball landed, but I knew it was close, and I was trying to find the spot, and I pointed it fair. Okay, because I know if I killed it now, remember, we're back when if we kill it, we're going to kill it. We're not going to change. We're not going to place runners. So it was behind me and I just didn't see it land. And I'm, you know, I'm hoping that there's a spot in the dirt somewhere or that it can. So I point it fair because I know if I point it fair and it's fair, I'm okay. And if I point it fair, we can change it to foul with no harm being done. Fair enough. So that was my mindset. So now I have to point it fair and chase. Because the bullpen's out there, and there's all sorts of shit, you know. So by the time I got back to the infield, the catcher had already been ejected from New Jersey. And I was like, oh, boy, I guess I missed this one. Um, So we get together. We actually didn't get together the whole crew because at that point still getting together with the whole crew was kind of, you know, not really looked at in a great way. Um, So we got together with – uh, it was John Millette was the home plate umpire, and he said, Tim, I got the ball about four inches foul, and I know it's foul 100%. And um, I went, okay, and I'll handle it. You know, Richard Katz uh, was the crew chief of that crew. And Richard didn't even come in because, you know, he was going to make me eat the call one way or the other. He mm-hmm. wasn't even happy that we overturned it <laughs> later on. So I went to Butch Hobson, who was the third base coach, and I said, Butch, my fat ass couldn't get out of the way, and I didn't see it land. And he goes, I know exactly what you did. And about a few seconds, be- this is before we called it a foul ball. You know, I just want—I just wanted to tell you this. I'm going to signal foul as soon as I get to talking to you. But I wanted to give you the courtesy of knowing what was going to happen. And he said to me, Okay. And before I even suggested it, he said, and I'll take care of my guys. Don't worry about it. So, you know, we put the guy back from second to the plate, called it a foul ball, put the runner back on first. And out of his dugout, three or four guys just started screaming. And he took four steps to that dugout and did the universal throat slit sign and screamed out something like, knock it off. He got the call right and screamed it. And there was, it's a playoff game in New Jersey, so there was maybe 300 people there. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, including eight fans from Nashua. And, but everybody you heard was from the, the, the Nashua dugout. Right. And it was like you could have heard a pin drop after that. 
that's the kind of support and backing because he was a third base coach. He didn't have to get out of the way. He knew it was foul. Right. And it took me two innings to find the spot. And sure enough, it was you could probably fit a baseball in between the call and whatever. But that's the kind of respect because you need the players to respect their manager or head coach. And you need to have, you know, the support of everybody involved. And that situation went out. And it's ironic that the, the worst thing that happened was actually to the team that uh, was New Jersey because Matt Lauderdale got ejected. <laughs> so, you know, kind of a, a twist of fate there. But right. it's another thing that, like, hey, you know, don't get run over something that we might get together on and get, get right because now you're going to feel real silly. We get to play right, and you're not playing anymore. Right. So I remember Joe coming out, and he talked to John, and I found this in the locker room, and uh, Joe Calpietri is one of the all-time great guys now managing Kansas City with the T-Bones of the American Association, won a championship last year. And he says, is there any way we can also reverse the ejection? Because, you know, <laughs> no, that, you know, you can't say that no. and stay in the game. Yeah. You know, and, but to me, isn't that a great story of a manager, one of the, you know, and just saying, hey, that's it. You know, he got the call right. That's our goal. We want the call to be right. right. You know, so to me, that to me has always been something we're talking over 10 years ago, and it always is in my mind, and I thanked him for it. He was in my leagues for like five or six years, and we've always had a good relationship, and he trusts me, and he believes me. And, you know, but it's also because I can admit to him, hey, I didn't get a good look at it. Right. If, if, if you're the kind of guy that's always saying, oh, I saw it perfectly, you know, come on. They're not going to trust you. when yeah. he sees it. Yeah. No, that makes complete sense. And that's a beautiful story, and it gives hope, I think, to the idea that, you know, the we we if we develop those types of relationships, we're going to infuse our younger generations with the proper courtesy and behaviors to to begin to minimize this. Um, finally, before we we wrap up, uh, summarize for me from the standpoint of what you know the the mission of close call sports and 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 our your working relationship with us at OSIP, what can we do in general, regardless of our position, to promote good sportsmanship in these capacities? What is it what is incumbent upon everybody, even the ca- the casual fan and the average fan, whatever, to to keep in mind as we move forward if we want good results? Well I think for me the number one thing is positivity. Um, there are too many umpires who are negative, who are out to get other umpires, who are trying to hurt other umpires' careers by writing negative stuff. That stuff is toxic. Mm. And it doesn't lead to, you know, because are, are those going to be the kind of guys that are going to be positive or partners that you want to work with? So I think if you can be a positive mentor and role model to <clears throat> young not only young guys, but older guys too. Some of the older guys when I was coming up in Philly were so great to me. You know, it, and – so that positivity, here's what it leads to. If you're happy being on the field, you don't want to be the guy that is moping around going, oh, I can't believe I had this crappy game when I could be working that game. You know, be happy with the game you're working right. or give it back. Don't yep. work it. So that you know what that positivity leads to? It leads to coaches and players who know. These are human beings. They have instincts. They know that you want to be there. And you know who else knows? People watching you. Yep. The fans. I get this all the time. I'll have a guy call me over and be like, hey, I don't know who you are, but I just wanted to say it's fun to watch you work because you look like you're having, you're, you're having a great time. You're enjoying yourself, and you're happy. And they always have to insult other umpires when they say it. They always have to get in. Most of the guys, they're right. out here. 
You know, they can't just be positive. But I always appreciate those comments. I want people to know that I'm smiling out there. Now, some of my – I don't know that some of my supervisors like it that I'm always smiling on the field. Uh, but I know when to not smile. You know, right. if I have a close play, a 2-2 game in the eighth inning, and, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to be like, ha-ha, yeah. you know, doing cartwheels. <laughs> but I'm happy doing this. And and if you're umpire, you're officiating, you should be happy. I don't want to go to a game where I've got guys that I don't want to be around. Right. And that, that not only calls umpires, but it's also, um, you know, coaches as well. Because then I have, a, you know, I have negative energy already. And that negative energy leads to bad things. Right. You know, the old say, I have a saying, you know, smile at random people. You know what happens? They smile back, you know, and, and, or they'll look at somebody else and smile or you hold the door for somebody. You know what that person does? Maybe they hold the door for somebody else. Right. Maybe they wave a guy forward and, you know, say, no, you go, you know, just record chart. No, you go. Everybody right. tell me to go, you right. know, but um, maybe I don't want to let you go, but you know, wave a guy, let a guy walk in front of you, you know, be nice. And that leads to other actions being nice, just like negative actions lead to more negativity. So to me, as an umpire, we can lead, we can be leaders and we can be positive, be happy with where we are, treat the other guys in our crew. Well, and over time, you know, it's not going to happen overnight over time. The culture of the business will change. Right. Now, a lot of the guys that want to be the negative Nancys, the Debbie Downers, will be like, oh, this is no fun because all these guys are happy, and I want to make them angry, and I want to make them upset. You know, and those guys get filtered out. Yeah, and you'll notice, you know, that certain groups have more of those guys because that's the culture of their group. You know, if the leader of a certain group is a negative Nancy who hates everybody, who doesn't want to be there, and it's just like, oh, I'm going to give up a signing next year, then they tend to gravitate – Towards the, uh, assigning those negative Nancys, right. as opposed to uh, my apologies to anybody that has somebody named Nancy in the in the listening audience. But do you understand what I'm I'm trying to get? Absolutely. So I, to me, I don't know if it's a good answer or not. But the way I try to lead is by mentoring and by positivity and by showing people just you know that I'm happy to be there. And if and if I can make one percent of difference, well, that's probably not going to be enough, and we're going to fail at this. But you know, but if we can change a few minds here or there, you know, maybe we can change the culture over the long term. I'll I'll never forget the the video that you showed me of the game you were doing when you had the plate and there was somebody new having problems with the audio system at the stadium and they for whatever reason couldn't shut the music off in time before each pitch and, and whatnot. And this was just ongoing and ongoing. So you you killed a play. Tell that story? Yeah, tell that story real quick and then we'll wrap it up. So it's the seventh inning, and, and, and you have the video. You'll be able to tell you what the score is in that game. But I think it's a one-run game. Ottawa's winning in the top of the seventh, if I remember. And the leadoff batter, and, and uh, to be honest, it's Three Rivers against Ottawa, and the two teams are separated by two games with about ten games left. And Three Rivers has, has the, the lead in the standings, and it's the fourth and fifth place team in a six-team league, and four teams make the playoffs. It's like everybody gets an orange wedge. Right. So – you know, Ottawa, if they lose this game, they're going to be three out with nine, and that's going to be a really hard to overcome. So they really need to win this game. And the music has been on, for whatever reason, Three Rivers, you know, it's French-Canadian, they play music when the opposing batters get up. Usually teams don't do that. Or they don't play exciting songs anyway. They play songs like, you know, that would be on The Muppet Show. And <laughs> so this guy, Tyler Norgan, who's the nicest guy in the world, okay, 
gets up, and this had already happened earlier, and the music doesn't stop. And I can hear Ottawa screaming from the dugout, F this, F that, you know. And they have every right to be upset because their batters want to be able to concentrate and don't want distractions when they're hitting. Just like umpires don't want distractions. You know, they you don't want a player to scream strike or ball as the pitch is coming in. I mean, right. it's, it's hard to differentiate. So the music's playing. I call timeout very emphatically. And the music is still playing a good two or three seconds later. So I... You know, hearing behind me now, Ottawa's just losing their minds, okay? Just did a little dance. He starts and dancing. It, yeah. it was in not full a plate good dance. Yeah. I would definitely have been kicked off dancing with the Stars in the first week. He is white, but after it, all. it put everybody at ease for the rest of the series. It was the second game, a four-game series. Put everybody, everybody relaxed. Everybody got, everybody, we're playing a game. We're playing a game. And this game should be fun. And it was calculated on my part. I didn't do it to be a superstar. I didn't do it to get everybody's attention. I just did it so everybody relax. And it worked hmm. perfectly. Everybody relaxed. We had two very tense games, but they were very quiet the next couple of nights. And everybody went home happy. So, um, you know, the, the point is that's another thing where instincts come in. If you have the instincts, I wouldn't you suggest go dancing around the, the, the field next time you umpire. <laughs> but... Uh, you know, yeah, it's a great. It's, 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 people like that story. People, the umpires that were there loved my dance, uh, and it got a standing ovation from the fans. That's beautiful. Which that's is ironic great. because most most of the time, as a as a white male from New Jersey, dancing mm-hmm. is forbidden. It's a felony. But, but <laughs> I didn't know that's, that. See, I didn't know that either. And then I found that out on the internet. And if it's on the internet, it must be true. So yes, yeah. Well, Tim. I can't thank you enough for doing this. Let me plug your stuff one more time. Uh, everybody needs to go to CloseCallSports.com. They need to check out the Plate Meeting podcast. The Umpire Ejection Fantasy League is so much fun to follow. Anything and everything that, that T-Mac and Gill put out is worth your read. It, it, it is, I, I don't want to say it's life-changing, but it makes you think. And it's important that we continue to cultivate this uh, if we want our our society specifically around sports and competition to not deteriorate in this world so tim from the bottom of my heart thank you so much for for joining us and 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 god bless you and have a fantastic season and hopefully we will uh you know, run into each other and not, you know, hurt each other in doing so because of the dancing. <laughs> well, you know, you definitely don't want to be on the same dance floor as me. I take up a lot of space, but thanks so much on behalf of, uh, of close call sports for having us. And you can always follow us on Facebook, uh, umpire ejections and on Twitter at umpire ejections. And, uh, I, I hope that, you know, there's, there's something for everybody. There really is, whether it's learning the rules. I don't partake in the fantasy league or really know anything about it. That's, that's Gil's territory, but, you know, and, and we can do it all in a way that is polite discourse and we communicate. And, uh, and I think it's a fantastic tool. And I hope everybody goes out and uh, checks it out. Thank you again, Tim. We really appreciate yes, it. Thank and, you very uh, much. Sean, thank you for your fantastic work. And yep. uh, we will continue this, uh, this two-part series in the next episode when the aforementioned Gil will join us. And we'll actually let him talk for once. And, uh, and I hope everybody continues to enjoy this, this little series that we've put together. So uh, until next time here on How You Play the Game, everybody make sure you treat each other with respect. How You Play the Game is a production of the OSIP Foundation, Incorporated. The producer-engineer of this episode is Sean Ryan. 
Music by SoundSpring Studio. The executive producer of How You Play the Game is Jack Furlong. For more information, visit osafoundation.org. If you're interested in advertising on How You Play the Game, please email us at podcast at osipfoundation.org.